This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and we have a special treat, I think. We're going to get taken to a joint-hosted podcast. My co-host is Marla DiCarlo. She's a good friend, and she's the CEO and co-owner of Raincatcher, located in Denver. And our guest today is Susan Frew. She's the CEO and CFO of Sunshine Plumbing and Heating and also a business coach with Fix This Next Advisor. And my name is Bob Rourke. I'm the host of Business Leaders Podcast. So looking forward to it. Thanks for taking the time. And Susan, if you would, tell us a little bit about your business and who you serve. Sure. Well, I was a business coach for a long time after a corporate career. I was on an international assignment. When I came back, I became a business coach and unintentionally 17 different trades. And through that, I met my husband who's in the plumbing, heating, and air conditioning business. And we started our own company called Sunshine Plumbing, Heating, Air. And things were going great. We had massive growth. I started going around speaking again about how we grew our company. It was awesome. I wrote a book about all of that. And then I realized that I had made a very bad hiring decision. And while I was traveling, a lot of bad things were happening to my company. There was some embezzlement and some theft and a lot of mismanagement and uh, we almost lost it. And in the last 18 months, we have been successful in turning it around. And now it's really my passion to go back to coaching and continue speaking as well, but to really help business owners to avoid what I went through because it was a real nail biter. I didn't think we were going to pull it out, but folks like Marla and who've known me for a long time really encouraged me to just coach myself for a minute <laughs> and, yeah. you know, that I could do it. But it was definitely with a lot of encouragement because I really has given up a couple of times. I think about drinking your own tea, right? And where you go through and go, you know, I'm a coach and I coached before and there's got to be some level of looking in the mirror and you go, wait, I coached this. What the heck? Exactly. You know, and I think about the advice that you might offer to a business owner based on your travails. What might you tell a business owner based on your experience? Well, it's interesting. So these are some of the things. As business owners, and what you hear a lot and different books that you read is, you know, you need to be able to step away from your business and it will run without you and you just sit on a beach and collect checks. Well, you know what? That is possible. And it is probable, but you need to put a lot of effort into your systems and your key performance indicators and your financial drivers and know how to monitor them remotely and know how to wall them off from the wrong people or else you could get in a lot of trouble. And that's what happened to us. And I thought I was monitoring KPIs and bank accounts and QuickBooks and everything else, but clearly when you have a wolf in the hen house, it is challenging and it's very difficult to figure that out because you don't expect that someone's going to do that. You know, Marla, you yeah. were a fractional CFO prior to Raincatcher for many companies. If they're the business owners that's listing out there, outside CFO, what might, what kind of things might you put in place that might have headed off some of these problems for Susan? That's an interesting question because the recommendations that I would normally make, Susan was doing all of it. She had her mail going to a different address. She had, she was following her financials. The things that we normally would say, these are the steps you need to take, Susan was doing. But what happened is, Susan, and correct me if I'm wrong, 
But I think what happened is you got busy and she convinced you that she was taking care of things and taking things off your plate hiding things is basically what it was and I don't know that because she was actually hiding tables from Susan how would you find something like that right yeah the only thing that you're wrong about in the beginning was that she was getting the mail oh that's right she was yes now I say to every business owner you have to get your own mail yeah (laughs) I don't care how you do that or even have your grandmother or your best friend p.o box yeah, that's yeah. right. I forgot about that. You know, I don't want to focus just on, on the travails. So, you know, I think about corporate consulting and you met your husband and you yeah. went out and decided to start your business and you had really great success and growth. What would you attribute that growth to? I think that we found a niche and this sounds a little unfortunate when I say it out loud, that we just delivered really good customer service. Like, it sounds a little crazy, right? But there were so many service companies out there that wouldn't show up and they wouldn't call people back. And if there was a problem, they wouldn't take care of it. And we started out against 950 competitors in the Denver market with a mission that we were going to deliver the best customer service that we could and that we were never going to be a hundred truck organization. And it just wasn't our desire. We're too old to do that, right? That's for the young of heart to start a company that big. Maybe if we were in our 30s when we started, we might have considered it. But we wanted a nice company that was profitable, that would bring us revenue, and we could deliver outstanding service. And that's what we did. And we started our business off with reputation management. We got reviews from everyone, and we got everyone's email address. And we just built upon that. And now we have 30,000 customers in our database. Things I think about is going like, you should have good customer service, right? And everybody goes, thanks for the insight. Just like saying, we talk, laugh, you should have good financials, right? And you go, wow, cool. How many folks do you have in your company now? Now we have 12. We should have more. But there are a fair amount of folks out there in the world right now, the United States, collecting unemployment that is making them a not willing to come to work right yet. In about 30 days, we will have a lot more employees when that program runs out. So we're excited about that. When you're communicating with your employees, says, you know, this is who we're going to be. This is what we're going to do. And when you were looking for evidence of delivery, what were you hearing from your clients and customers that either confirmed or refuted what you were trying to do? Well, we do a thing called happy calls. So every single customer, not only do they get a link immediately after service. Well, first things first, when we're sending a technician out, they get a link with our technician's photo and his bio. So they know exactly what their technician looks like and something about his background, his professional background. And we try to put something personal in there. So they already feel like they know him and they like him by the time he gets there or her, we haven't had her yet, I keep hoping. And we then follow it up with a link to review. And then we follow it up with an email. And then we follow it up with a phone call. And then we follow it up every month to ask, how did we do, how did we do, how did we do? So we have really good key performance indicators. And our technicians get rewarded for good reviews. So they get points. And they can take those points and parlay them into prizes. And the top prize is a trip for two to Mexico. And we've sent three technicians on trips 
because they earned enough points through reviews. So that was one way to keep everyone accountable and make sure that our customers were happy. Marla, I'm, I'm curious. I'm always interested in the, the detail. So Susan, when you're doing all the follow-up and all this and all that and the other, what type of CRM system or do you use a CRM system for that? Yes, I use a very high-powered system that's proprietary to the trades and it's called Service Titan. Interesting story. I mean, a brilliant company out of Glendale, California, two young men, brilliantly educated out of Ivy League schools, but their dads were tradesmen. And they met in college and they needed, they came up with this brilliant software platform. They just got like an $8 billion IPO, all this funding, and they're just growing leaps and bounds. So it's plumbing, electrical, garage doors, anything in service you can think of. And they just thought about it from a technician's perspective and a small business owner. So that's why we've always been paperless. And we record every single call between the technician and the office and everywhere so that if there's a customer service problem, we can pinpoint it right there and address the issue on the spot. Wow. You've known Susan for years. (laughs) Yeah. From your perspective in the business brokerage side of the house, when you hear about a company like this, what types of things go off in your mind about, oh, that's transferable, oh, that's highly desirable, that's a oh. value creator? What goes off for you? Oh, my gosh. The net promoter score. <laughs> really high. How high is it? Do you know the score? Do you mind uh, sharing it? Or is yeah, that- I've seen it because uh, Service Titan, so like nine and a half. Wow. One to 10. And then we have four and a half stars pretty much everywhere. And, you know, I joke that if we had five stars, it would be fake. There's no (laughs) way. Right. That's good. People threaten me with a bad review. I'm like, you know what? That would really help me out because I have so many good ones. It kind of looks fake anyway. That's (laughs) hilarious. I really think the leader in your industry with customer service, most of the stuff you did was completely out of the box, right? At the time, and now I'm starting to see so many more companies that are doing that because you have to, sending thank you cards, and we would send brownies, and in the beginning... Yeah, brownies, Bob! Have you ever gotten brownies Wait, from your you, I need you to come by my office. Yeah. <laughs> I love it! I know, and it's not Colorado brownies. It's just regular brownies. <laughs> now, for the folks that don't know, net promoter score. What is a net promoter yeah. score? On a scale from one to 10, how happy are you with this company and how likely are you to refer them to a friend? And they just have to pick a number. Is that one standard? Question. Pretty much. I mean, even after you go to AT&T and buy a phone or anywhere, they'll text you and be like, so how do we do? Like on a scale from one to three or one to five or one to 10, they'll all like use a different metric, but it's all in there. The yeah. same thing. The other thing I think that she's done a great job, her and her husband both, is the way that they have set up cross-training and your organization itself. I'm not going to try to remember everything you said, Susan, but it's impressive. Do you mind sharing a little bit about just some things that are make you different, your uniqueness from your competitors? Well, you know, my husband knows a lot of different trades. So early, early on in his career, he was a journeyman electrician became a master plumber like his dad. So he's second generation. And then he did a lot of boilers when he was in Detroit and then up in Breckenridge. And that's sort of a combo heating plumbing, right? Just water, but it's heat. And then he got into HVAC when he came down to Denver. 
So he knows all of the trades. And uh, so he's been able to train a lot of our guys. And I always joke that we're a business incubator because I lost count of the guys that work for us and now they have their own companies. So I guess we made it look really easy, but someday I'll get proud of them. (laughs) Right. But our office team does really well on cross training. And, you know, in this fix this next advisory program, they recommend that every business owner or every business has employees go on vacation for one month a year so that they can remove linchpin redundancy. So to make sure that there's not one person in your company that's got too much control over too many things. And that means that everybody else needs to fill in the gaps. I think that's a brilliant idea. I think it's probably need to work up to, but I think it's a good goal. Yeah. Given the current pandemic timeframe, we might've had a little bit of that unenforced, I think, or whatever. We did. And we had our, one of our employees out for about that long. And we all did learn a lot about his job. And that's also the time that we had everybody really start writing down policies and procedures and keeping them in a Google Drive so that should someone not come back or they're going to be out longer or whatever, that we had a backup. One of the things I want to bring up that Susan did as well, and I am still at awe on how she handled things. When everything went down with your bookkeeper, your office manager, and you're going, what the heck do I do? I don't even know how I'm going to make payroll tomorrow. I love your story of how you were able to go through the emotion of that frustration and that anger. But then, you know, I say put on your big girl panties, but maybe that's not appropriate. You know, just the way that you were able to get through the grit that you had and resilience of just getting back in there and jumping in and fighting your way through. I love that about you. I love that story. Well, the thing is, though, I didn't really have a choice. Like what we were going to do, like my husband and I have always said this, we support 15 families, 18 families, 12 families, however many employees we have at the time. That's what we do. And if you ask him what we do, he says we support 15 families. And so we take that responsibility very seriously. Yeah. I think about that moment, right? So you've gone through the shock and denial and all the emotions, and then you're kind of going... Now, when you're thinking about that transition point in tenacity, and what was that mental story like when you're shifting from, are you kidding me, to, all right, this isn't going to take us out? What was that like? Well, one of the hardest things for me is I do a lot of professional speaking. And I was telling the story of this book I had written called The Puffer Fish Effect, which is how we grew our company. And it was becoming a point of making me sick to deliver that talk because I couldn't do it because I knew what was happening in the back of the office. And I also was no way, this was the thing, I was not going to file for bankruptcy. I was not. And I just made up my mind and I'm looking at it right now and I look at it all the time. I created a vision board, which I had had customers do, clients do in the years pass and I was like, okay, yeah, do your vision board because everybody tells you to do. But I really, really did it. And this vision board is now all coming true. And it was just a singular focus every day. I am not filing for bankruptcy and I am going to become debt free. And that was it. Just like two things, those two drivers. And we lost all of our employees for a while. (laughs) 
I forgot to mention that everyone except our office staff quit for one reason or another during this transition. A part of it was adjusting their pay to right size. And a part of it was this former employee in their ear. And so there was a lot of different things that were happening. So we had to hire a whole new staff. Well, if I ever run into yeah. you in a dark alley, I'll turn around and go the other way. Yeah. <laughs> I would highly recommend that. <laughs> well, I am from New Jersey. And like, here's part of my vision board. Oh, it's hard to see you on the screen, but it says debt-free life on there. And it's got healthy food and it's got somebody working out. And like, so those are the things that I needed to do. I needed to eat healthy food. And I needed to work out so that I could get the stress out of myself so that I could be the best me that I could be. And I had let that slide, my health and fitness slide for a long time. And in the past, a really active person, like really active. And for a year and a half, I just sat here doing nothing, eating bad food and not working out and being more stressed. So I just said, all right, well, I'm going to take care of myself and then I'm hoping that that's going to change everything. And the worst case scenario, it wasn't going to suck. So that's what I did. And that was a thing that really, really helped to get that stress off. Because otherwise, I probably would have had a heart attack. (laughs) You know, I think about key relationships that we haven't touched on. You know, in that compressed period, there's the relationship with your husband. And then there's the relationship with whatever lenders. You know, you've got this large meal that you have to digest For folks out there that we're in the COVID crisis and there are folks out there that have had significant problems, Mm -hmm. what advice might you offer to them to take and maintain that relationship with your spouse? Well, a lot of people do work with their spouse, which makes it really hard. So my husband works out in the field. So we closed down our big office. We had a 5,000 square foot shop and office and we moved our executive offices into my basement. Mm-hmm. And then we got a shop down in the southern part of our city, which is actually more convenient. It, we should have done that a long time ago. We didn't need to be spending all that money. So we reduced our overhead by about $7,000 a month. But that for a while, because we lost all these employees, my husband had to go back out in the field. So that really works better for us in our relationship when he's managing the field and I'm here in the office. Him in the office, that's not really his thing. Kind of not sure what to do. And he's really good with customers, but he enjoys being out there in the field with the guys. So that's what he does. And then we have our lanes, we say. So that's really, really important to us to stay in our lanes. And sometimes we cross over and well, like any business You're really partners. good with the wrench and fixing a pipe in the field. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We don't want that picture on stage doing that. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's like one of my favorite things she does. The relationships with the lenders don't need to know the details, but what was your philosophy in approaching your partners in the lending world? Okay. Well, we had a lot of debt. So the IRS debt alone was over $400,000 at the end of the day with penalties, interest, and trust funds loans and everything else, like we're close to seven, $800,000 altogether. So what I did was this, is I wrote a letter to every single vendor, everyone that we owed money to. And I said, look, we have been through a catastrophic event at our business. And that's basically all I said. And I know that we're behind and I know that you want us to pay you right now, but we can't. So this is what we're going to do. We can pay you a little bit at a time and we will, we, I promise you, you have my word, I'm going to pay you back. Well, the lion's share of the people were very gracious. 
There were some, however, that were not. And so when they would call me and after they had turned down my offer of repayment, I would say, well, okay, you have two choices. You can either accept my payment plan or we can file for bankruptcy and you would get in line behind the IRS. So would you like to come with a plan B? <laughs> because plan A for you is not going to work oh, out, good. I can assure you. So <laughs> the girls in the office used to think that was hysterical. They would get hysterical laughing every time I would get into my little story of, okay, this is how it's going to work. Plan A or plan B? Which yeah. one do you want? And then there was one vendor of ours that we thought was a good partner of ours. And of all of our vendors, they were the worst, the worst. And it, we owed them over $100,000, which we just paid off a week and a half ago, finally. Well done. Yeah, thanks. And it felt really good. Now, you know what they say? So, okay, so what's your plans moving forward? Finding well, we another plans. vendor. Yeah. We have plans, but not with you. Yeah. <laughs> Funny how that works. Oh, the thing that strikes me about all this, and Marla, you and I talk about this all the time. So this institutional knowledge earned, some by choice, some by circumstance, and <laughs> You've transitioned. Two by fours. <laughs> yeah. You know, you were speaking before, but you're in the fix this next space. When you're talking to a business owner, how does all your past experience translate from their perspective and how do you see that helping them? Well, you know, I won't ever tell any of my past clients this that I coached, but I couldn't even have tip of the iceberg knowledge of what I was teaching them before after what I know now. Because I have been through so many things. So I know how to help them get out of debt. I know how to help them collect money. I know how to get them to build a new team. I know how to get them to change their culture. I know how to build systems. I know how to wall off their accounting department. I know how to help them get media and good reviews and great customer service policies. So it's just a whole new experience. And what I love about Fix This Next is one of the big premises in the book. Is He talks about, Mike Michalowicz, the author of Fix This Next, he talks about the business hierarchy of needs compared to Maslow's hierarchy of needs for just life. So in this hierarchy of needs, we identify what needs to happen next and not to trust your gut, right? Because as business owners, we say, oh, I trust my gut. I'm going to hire Mary. I'm going to do this. And fix this next is like, oh, no, you don't trust your gut on anything. We're going to identify the problem and we're going to give you solutions to fix it. And it's phenomenal on how that works. It's a beautiful process and I'm so excited about it. I think about when you show up in a business owner location and the level of been there, done that. I mean, I'm struggling with thinking about what you haven't done now. (laughs) (laughs) And the value of all of that. Shifting gears a little bit, Marla and I, we've been talking about capturing the wisdom of the guests that have been out there like you that have been there and done that. And we had a series of questions that we would like to go through and ask you. And what we're trying to do is, if we can, some of the other business owners out there where first order business, can we help them with their business? Second order of business, if they're looking for help that you can provide them from Fix This Next, how do they find you on social media? And then perhaps okay. we can you know, ask some questions that might highlight some things that they could do. So first order, how do they find okay. you, whether they have a plumbing problem or they need coaching? 
Well, that's two different websites, but the best way to find me is Susan Roberts through FREW.com. Okay. And so that'll get both sides of the waterfront so they can do that. Yes. And then Marla, we were talking about some of the questions that we would ask. I'm going to hand it off to you. Why don't you take and cover the first few questions that we might explore? Oh, boy. Have you got uh, them in front of you? I do not. Oh, I well, then, not, I'll, then I, I will do tell it. You. I did not put that in front of me. That Oh, it was a quiz. And so... <laughs> I, I failed already. Oh, well, that's okay. I, I, I do have uh, something, though, that I was going to ask Susan mm-hmm. with the uh, coaching business. One of the things I love about the program that you're doing is how efficient it is. And it really doesn't take very much time away from the business owner's daily routine. Do you mind just talking to that a little bit? Because I really think that's one of the things that it differentiates this program from others. And I agree because I used to be that coach that would come in and be like, okay, well, before we do anything, we're going to write your mission and your vision and your points of culture. And and we're going to polish off all your policies and procedures. And I agree still that that is important, but not when the guy's bleeding money or someone's got this horrible employee that they need to deal with, or they've got a net promoter score of three. So what it does is it identifies what do you need to work on right this minute? And it gives you the tools to do it. So you're just focused on this thing. And then we'll get to the next and the next and the next. And I think it's so much easier for business owners to get their head around and just do one thing at a time. We don't need to be balancing 25 balls. You already have enough on your plate. And the way that they're able to go through the program and do the work on their own. And then you, I mean, I forget how often you're meeting with a business owner, but it's, you get a lot done and you're not there every week. A lot done. (laughs) I like to go, this is my ideal coaching scenario on a business that is not in, I call it code red. Like where we were, we were in code red. I couldn't wait every quarter for my business coach to come because I would have been out of business. So what I like to do is to do a full day. If it's something in trios, like Marla, if it's somebody who wants to sell their business and they have a timeline, like I'm working with someone right now, wants to put his business back on the market in September. So we're pretty accelerated schedule. So I'm going to see him once a month and we're doing touch-based calls weekly on the phone. And then things in between, if something comes up, they're reaching out to me, I'm speaking to some of their other advisors. But ideally, if a business just is looking to refine themselves and to build their value, so maybe someday they will be selling, I like to come once a quarter for a whole day. And then we do touch base in between. So it's not as much pressure on the business owner. And then I'm digging in and like I'm an employee for a whole day. And I get to meet with all of their team and departments and see what's really going on. And it gives me a better feel for how I can help. Because if we're just meeting an hour here and there, you're not going to get that. Yeah, that's really impressive that they put together a program where you can do that. Because most of the programs I know of, you know, the initial beginning of meeting with your advisor, you're having to carve out a couple of hours a week. And so I think that's impressive. And so what's the typical program timeline? Like how long do you typically have to work with an owner to really start to see value and start to see changes in their business? Well, if it's something really big, uh, for example, there's a client that I'm working with that has a big accounts receivable issue, 
right? So I help them put a policy in place and they are actively working on that accounts receivable issue. Like they have a script, they have a plan, they know who they're calling, and then what's the next step? Because by the time I come back to our next visit, if that money's not collected, we're gonna start collection process or some liens or something snarky. Start something that I love from my New Jersey <laughs> From dad. New Jersey people, don't forget <laughs> my that. New, my New Jersey I love Susan, but don't mess with her. <laughs> That's right. So that one, we're gonna see results on that one like super fast, right? Yeah. So if it's something financial, usually you can see results pretty quick. Sales and marketing, if they have a sales and marketing challenge, Sometimes that's going to take a little bit longer, right? Because most marketing is not in stoke. And that's what people think. Oh, I'm going to go on the radio and my phone will be ringing off the hook next week. Uh, no, it's not the way that works. So it all depends. But I definitely say the financial things are bigger wins, quick hits, evaluating employees. We can get a lot of punch doing that first too. Mm -hmm. Because we might identify that there's one person who's souring the rest of the employees and we just remove that person and then things get better really fast. Yeah, that's great. I had to make sure that we touched upon the efficiency of this program because that's impressive. I mean, that is something that is different. And I personally, Bob, I don't know if you have read Profit First. I'm sure you have, but I'm a fan. You want a budgeting tool? He knows his stuff. So I have no doubt that this Fix This Next program is going to be just as successful. Well, drum roll, because I have an announcement about Profit First. So they only allow so many Profit First advisors in the world, uh, not just in the United States, in the world. And as of yesterday morning, have been approved to be a profit first professional. So I'll be able to coach now profit first and fix this next. And the cool part is that my own company must be doing the profit first exactly to the letter of the, the way it's written in order for me to be a coach. So that's super exciting for Sunshine. You know, it's that's back great. to drinking your own Kool-Aid again. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Wow. And you sleep when? <laughs> well, I started doing CrossFit. Okay, oh, my. So if you start your day with something that could kill you and it doesn't, like it kind of goes better. <laughs> it doesn't get worse. So, so this is how if people go, how was CrossFit? I'm like, DND. And they're like, what? I'm like, did not die. That's my uh, key performance indicator on CrossFit. <laughs> well, That's hilarious. Yeah, I'm going like, I got nothing. Yeah, I got nothing either. I thought she was just doing yoga, and now she's going to be able to take people out with CrossFit. I'm the oldest person in there by far. So they all sort of thought, of course, I couldn't do anything. I sandbagged them for a while, and then they're going to get out there and just whip their butts. I love it. Raising the average age. I love it. Exactly. That's what I'm doing. I'm an equalizer. Yes, ma'am. Well, I thought I would ask you some questions, all right? Okay. So for you, you know, thinking about your experience and all the training that you've had, you know, these are the lesson or technique that you learned early on that you still do. What's that technique and why? I don't take no for an answer. I just don't. Like today, I had a situation where I was getting told no, and I was like, no, you don't understand. I'm going to keep escalating this until I get what I need. And they were like, no, it doesn't work that way. I will just keep at it. I am like a dog with a bone. And I think that serves me well. It, I mean, it aggravates quite a few people, but I get done what I need to get done. 
And if it's something that's really important, and I think that I'm right, and I've done my research, and I just don't quit. And I teach my clients to do that too, because people want to give up. You know, we could have given up sunshine like a dozen times. Mm -hmm. Believe me, we wanted to, and we didn't. And I'm so glad that we didn't, because we are so much happier now. The thing that strikes me about that's a learned skill set with kind of a cadence and rhythm and various pathways that you go down and go through. Where do you think you learned that from? My parents weren't big entrepreneurs, so I don't think I learned it from them. I started in sales when I was really young, and I sold health insurance, and I sold cars for a little while, and I was in the finance office, and then I went to work for AT&T Wireless in New York City. I'd also worked for ADP, so I was sales in New York City. And they gave me the Diamond District, and they gave me Wall Street. Two totally different vibes and two totally different markets, but I had to be as pushy and aggressive as they were and just wouldn't say no, and I had a quota to meet. And I just became really competitive, and I think that's it too. Like, I'm super competitive. Like, I wouldn't go down because my competitors would know that I went down. That wasn't going to happen. So I think there's that. That sounds like a very good crucible to come out of with a skill set. Yeah. So for you, looking back, not necessarily with current business, but a mistake that you made as a business owner that you learned from and now you profit from. Well, I was really good at saying, I don't know how to do that. I'm going to delegate it to Mary or to Pete or to Joe. And I've seen so many business owners do this. They delegate. It's not delegation. It's abdication. When you don't know what you're giving to somebody to do and you don't understand it, that's Mm -hmm. abdication. And you will lose your shirt if you do not understand. And not that you should be helicopter boss or have your fingers in everything, but you need to understand the job that you're giving to someone to do so that you can supervise it properly or else you will have big trouble on the other side. Susan, I have a question around that because that brings up a point I was talking with my partner the other day. Don't you think there's a difference between being educated and understanding what you're asking your team to do versus being in the trenches? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. But I didn't understand my financials in the beginning Mm. as well as I should have. You didn't understand cash flow reporting and I didn't understand some functions that should have been my role as CEO. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I didn't know my own job. So I was delegating all that stuff to other people, which was wrong. And just trusting. Exactly. And and I couldn't supervise it properly because I didn't understand it. I think there's a lot of that that goes on is a lot of business owners don't know what they don't know. Yes. Yes. And, and, you know, you look at that and they had the passion to start the business. They got the business going. And for Mm -hmm. some act or whatever that it's still there. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if they're living out of, future sales or whatever they're doing, but they don't know the levers to pull. I can't supervise our guys in the field. Bet you could if you had to. I'll (laughs) tell you this. No one wants to have, this is what they call it behind my back, but it's not really behind my back. When I call them in, they call it a New Jersey conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Nobody wants that, but I can't manage them the way my husband can manage them because he can troubleshoot with them over the phone or on a video chat or something. I have no idea. I would need a person with that skill set in between me and the field. I think about all of this background and fabric of your experience, right? You kind of go, well, I earned a lot of that fabric. What advice would you offer to that new business owner 
that's right now, I guess, is the first time maybe some of ever ran into adversity. What advice would you mm-hmm. offer to them? Go get a job. No, I'm not I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not it. What I would say is, is that you have to listen to people with wisdom and experience, right? You have to. You cannot be so pie in the sky and not listen because you read 22 books and you know better, right? You have to find a mentor and you have to find somebody to show you the ranks who've been through the fire. And not that you're not going to go through some of the fire yourself because you are. And it's good for you because you will grow and you will get stronger. But you need to have somebody taking you through. Mm. Because if you ignore that fact, you're going to just struggle. And then you know what? And you'll wake up and you'll be 45 and you'll be sorry that you didn't find a mentor to help you. Good advice. I like that. One of my favorite questions. So we have a time clock or a time machine. And so we have the more mature Susan. (laughs) And if the more mature Susan could go back and advise the less mature Susan, let's say five or 10 years back, I didn't say older anywhere in there. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Less mature. We'll go with that. What advice would the Susan fruit today offer that young business Susan fruit of the past? Well, you know, if we went way back, I then have to tell you that I've, attended 50 Grateful Dead shows. So I'll just leave that right there. Wow. <laughs> Dang. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> it is. Yes. <laughs> this is what I would say. I regret this so much. And, and I think about a time machine sometimes, like I wish I could. I would not have spent as much money as I did the way I did. So when I started my business, I had come out of corporate America where I was making a ton of money. I was in the international assignment. They gave me this huge severance package. I just gotten a divorce. We sold this multi-million dollar house. Like I was flush. And I just thought that money was never going to run out. I did not respect and realize how hard it is to be an entrepreneur and how much it costs. I also didn't respect and pay attention to the economic indicators that a recession was headed in my direction. And I was spending money like a drunken sailor. And I was just not planning for the future. I was not planning. And I got burned. I got smacked down and had to start all over again. That is another reason why this time when this happened, and it wasn't even my fault this time, like last time it was my fault because I was spending money like crazy. But yeah. this time it was not my fault. And I was like, that, this is not happening. I'm not going down. Because I knew what it felt like back then to have all of this and then be so meager. I remember one time things got really so bad that I parked my BMW four blocks from the food bank. And I went there. And I was living on my friend's couch after having millions of dollars. So I would just say you have to put stuff away for a rainy day. You have to do profit first. You have to be prepared. You have to make a plan so that, you know, you don't get caught short that way. Thank you for being so vulnerable talking about that, Susan, because do you know how many owners are probably going through that right now at this very moment with what just happened with COVID? And I can relate as you're saying that, thinking that would probably be my number one or number two as well. I wish I hadn't spent the way I did back then. So I think that's so wonderful that you can share that. I hope that business owners learn and realize they're not alone. It's okay that they made a mistake, but let's learn from it, right? 
Yeah. Right. I also learned that Goodwill has just as good as clothes as Neiman Marcus. And so yes. Neiman Marcus is going out of business. Goodwill is not. So my point right there. Fashionista, right? Yes. Driftinista. Driftinista. Yes. Yeah. For the business owner that's struggling right now, hearing the story, they're probably understanding the mileage better now, now that they're kind of in the midst of that path to that business owner out there that maybe is going like, geez, I don't know how you're going to get to the other side. Yep. You know how to get to the other side. And so I, I would encourage them to reach out to you at a minimum. Yeah. I can't tell you how many nights figuring out how I'm going to make payroll. And uh, we used to call it around here the Thursday miracle because <laughs> we don't know exactly how. We always had enough for a payroll on Friday, but we did. And uh, every single time it happened. It's just a blessing. I wouldn't recommend that plan as a plan. <laughs> but hey, if you're listening to this and you're a business owner and you're going through a rough time, I know. I know where you've been. <laughs> I've got a thing that I always put as I throw my pen on the thing, work the problem. I'm former military, so that sort of resonates for me. You work the problem. And yeah. the best thing you can do is put one foot in front of the other. So with that being said, key value drivers in your business now when you first start your business versus now, when did you recognize the key drivers of value in your business? Well, I got involved with the Plumbing, Heating, Cooling Contractors Association early on, and they had some key performance indicators that we were tracking, you know, like average ticket, call conversion rate, phone call conversion rate, so on and so forth. We were doing a pretty good job of that. But now I'm looking at things differently. I'm looking at cash flow and I'm looking at my accounts payable and how much do I have in payables and how long is it going to take me? And my big, hairy, audacious goal is to be debt free. Mm. And so that is my goal driver now, the big one in the middle of everything is what do I have to do to be debt free? What sacrifices do I need to make? And what, what, what has to go to be debt free? And that's it. So when you just focus yourself, work the problem, Bob. That's the problem. I have debt and I am going for it, you know, and I have offers and compromise into the IRS, which my lawyers are pretty satisfied that they're going to get accepted. So that in the next eight or nine months will go away. And then the vendors, we just keep banging them out and we have a celebration. We pay bills every Friday and we have a party about it. We're like, okay, woohoo. We start high-fiving each other. Okay. Socially distancing, high-fiving each other. And we have a great party on Friday and everybody gets money. And all the people who raised an eyebrow that we weren't going to pay them off are calling up going, we didn't think you were going to do it. We thought you were going to just bail and we didn't. We haven't bailed on anyone. Wow. You know, I think that for previous couple of questions, you were talking about find a mentor, find somebody that will help you. And yeah. Easier said than done, right? Because mentors are, qualified mentors are hard to find and expensive. And the part that you went to the trade association and started doing at least what they recommend as a start. Every professional athlete has a minimum of one coach. Think about if you're out there in the business space and you go, and I'm going to figure this out on my own. Yeah, you may do that, but it's going to take you a tough road and a long damn time. And so Somebody that's been around the track and had been, but has got the scars and perspective, that's who you hire to bring in and coach. And you go, I can't really afford this much, but I can afford this much. Get the coach on board and do the things that you're talking about. And throughout my career, I have a money management firm. Finding mentor was virtually impossible. It's very difficult to find those folks. And so 
You're going to pay either way. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> it's kind of like they pay me now, pay me later. Yeah, exactly so. Dave Ramsey calls it yes. stupid tax. <laughs> yep. I forgot to, yeah. That's yep. a good way to put it. Yeah. So um, in thinking about your business, if you were sitting here five years from now and you're looking at your business, what do you have in mind? What does the five-year goal with your business look like to you other than debt-free? Marla will have sold my company for a lot of money and I will still be speaking and coaching and my husband will be snowmobiling a lot. He will be in a never summer pattern. And I think that's what my goal is, is to uh, sunshine debt free and then probably sell, sell our company. Uh, and we're gearing up and we're ready. We're not quite ready right this moment, but we're getting ready. And I know what it's going to take for us to get the most amount of money. And we're focused on that. And then, you know, we don't want to work forever. So, you know, I, I started to interrupt. I was thinking about, you were yes. talking about, I speak from the stage, right? And you were yeah. back earlier, we were talking about how you felt nauseous or whatever it was when you were speaking from the stage about a particular topic. Yeah. When you go back out and speak on a stage, how do you feel about that now? Well, I changed my keynote. And it's called Leading Through the Rain. Wow. <laughs> it's definitely more helpful now to the audience, right? So Marla mentioned that I'm very vulnerable about what happened. And I am. It's intentional because I want to help people. I can't help you if I'm telling you stories about the puffer fish. And not that this isn't a cool book, because it is. But that doesn't tell you how to get through the soup of what we went through. And that's what people need to hear. It's more relatable now, Susan. I mean, I know the story of who you are, and I already know what you were able to do with businesses. It's impressive. You have an incredible set of skills, but going through what you went through, you're a different person, and you can see it, and I think the fact that you can relate with that business owner is so important. The people that, Bob, the people that saw what she went through, and I can speak from one of those people that are her friend and cared about her business. It's incredible what they've been able to do. That's the story. <laughs> you know, I mean, you want to talk about adversity. How many businesses, Marla, do you think you've looked inside of, seen, or run? Over 500, easy. And their stories aren't always too different from Susan's. You know, that's the part that I think is interesting. Susan, you've been tattooed and burnt and toasted and yeah. raked through the coals and tempered. And yeah. I think about the business owner that's out there at this point and they go, wow, look at that person. They worked this little bit of time and yeah. sold it for all this money. You go, you have no idea. Exactly. No, I do now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you hear the story of, I want to be a business owner. And you go, be careful what you ask for. <laughs> well, Amen, brother. Start saving. Yeah, start saving. We've been harassing you now for almost an hour and I can't tell you how much I appreciate and honor what you say and do. I mean, because it's a big deal to do what you say. It's a big deal to keep your integrity and honor and to persevere and, and execute and come out the other side. And then for you, you've shared wisdom and insights with us today, and I'm honored that you're here. So with that being said, Marla, we finished our first joint hosted episode. And Susan, not too many visible marks from us experimenting on you. Thank you, Susan, for who you are. Seriously, she's one of my favorite people. I would put you at the top five. 
So thank you, my friend. Thanks, guys. You bet. Well, we will respect your time, call it good, and look forward to catching up with you soon. And so for the folks that are listening, make sure you reach out to Susan, and we'll have all the links in the show notes. Susan, thank you so much. Thank you very much.